This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. This is a difference in size. I mean, this is David and Goliath. Any idea what would set this off? Justin Johnson, I think he just wanted to fight. That's all. Oh, there's a hard left. Justin Johnson was born in Anchorage, Alaska in 1981. He had a long career in the Meyer Leagues and eventually joined the NHL as a seasoned veteran, aged 32, playing one season with the New York Islanders in the 2013-14 season. So, hey, Justin, it's nice to meet you, and thanks for having, uh, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Yeah, nice to meet you, Dean. And uh, to start out with, I'm just going to show you a photo of a card. I actually had this made up for you because I know you, you know you played two NHL games, and uh, I searched high and low. I wasn't able to get a card, so I had this made up uh, custom card. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you remember uh, this image and maybe just tell listeners uh, where this was from and your reaction to it. I believe that was in uh, New Jersey. Uh, that would have been my first game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what comes to mind when you see that uh, card? Um, I could really go on for a long time, Mr. Barnes, but I, it, it was a culmination of... Uh, of a dream that you know you always held and he held on to um you know but as a 32 year old uh i guess grown up uh playing a game i opportunity and chance of a lifetime to 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 uh, um, accomplish your dreams and and, and uh, see all the hard work and all the adversity and all those uh all those things all those cliches that you hear people uh talk about going through um you know, confidence is always something you, you, you want to, you know, hold on to for dear life. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't a reality that I thought was, was, was likely for me. And uh, to have it happen was just amazing. So the actual um, visual of the card um, just sort of brings back that memory eh, of that special moment of that, uh, that, you know, extreme highlight of, of your, your journey. Yeah, no, it, it's just uh I, I still can't, you know, believe it, and, and I, uh, I don't always get chances to talk about, you know, these things. You know, I, I try to be humble, and you know, I'm not, you know, talking to kids every day doing the hockey thing anymore. So it, it's um, it, still hard to believe, uh, but very, very happy about it. Yeah, not many many people do it, and by nature, um, you know, hockey players tend to be very humble and modest about their experience. So glad we'd be able to um, to loop you in and uh, have you talk about your experiences. So I'm wondering, before we get into where you grew up, just another question about the cards and were you a card collector growing up and, yeah. and do you still have any, any cards? Yeah, I was, uh, I think when I was around ten, nine, 10, I was uh, ravenous about it, you know, uh, you know trading with friends, uh, going to all the different uh, malls around town, all the different grocery stores that sold hockey cards because in Alaska, I'm sure, you know, from your your exploits or talking to people in lower 48 um having hockey cards on these shelves in these these stores isn't like a uh prevalent thing so you know you had to go around as many stores as you could because usually you just find baseball and football and basketball cards and uh when when you ran into a store that had a hockey card i mean you did your best to kind of wipe them out uh, you know you, you would mow lawns and shovel uh driveways and uh, anything and everything you could. And I usually almost always spent that money on candy and uh, hockey cards. Um, I still do have um, a nice little box that I fell down to. Um, I think during that period, I was uh, obviously, you know, I had an obsession of uh, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and, you know, things like that, Mark Messier, but I loved Pavel Bure. And that was kind of in the middle of his uh, run where he scored 50, 60 goals and just had, you know, he was Mr. Highlight Reel. And so I have a lot of, you know, Pavel, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to have him, obviously, but I think I may have traded away a few too many Gretzkys or amused to get him. So, you know, it, 
if anything, it's it's a good memory. And his name was was he nicknamed the Russian Rocket? Am I correct? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So and then he had some real high point total uh, seasons for sure. So uh, he he really was electrifying, man. There was nobody else like him. I mean, Fedorov was you know elegant, just a thoroughbred, you know, and with a great mix of skill. But Pavel Bure was just uh, you know just just a a force one on one, you know. Accelerating speed, what he did to defensemen and goalies, uh, uh, definitely embarrassed uh, quite a few people. Sure. So, um, and your season when you actually played those uh, two NHL games was 2013. So, really, not not too long ago. It may feel like it's long ago to you, but for me, <laughs> yeah. the older guy, that doesn't seem too long ago. Yeah. Now, uh, now that I've joined the real world. Uh, I've got a real job. Uh, it, it does seem like a lifetime ago. And if I, when I get to speak to someone like you, um, you know, then I kind of put uh, spatial terms to it. And yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah. So let's take a step back to learn about your uh, experiences. And uh, I know you're born in Alaska. Maybe you can tell us then, did you, did you grow up in Alaska? I know eventually you're playing college hockey there, but tell us about your early experiences what was it growing up in your household? Um, so I was I was actually born in a suburb of Seattle called Auburn, um, and I was I moved up with my mom and my grandmother, uh, and with a gentleman that ended up adopting me and becoming my father when I was about three and a half, four years old. My mom had me; she was very young, uh, fifteen, turning sixteen. Um, so moved up to Alaska. Uh, was in the, we were in this, you know, on base in the service. And then after my dad transitioned out of the military, went into social, social services or, um, was a social worker, I guess you would say for the city. And, um, you know, when I was about, you know, eight, nine years old, I was being babysat, uh, by some people before and after school and their kids played hockey. Now, my dad was from uh, the South, uh, Columbia and, and Charleston, South Carolina. So his, experience or, or, uh, I guess knowledge of hockey was, was very, very limited. Um, so around that time was kind of when, uh, when they were getting ready to go through a divorce, um, or whatever. And my mom worked at a doctor's office as a ear, nose and throat doctor. And so her idea of hockey was, you know, you lose all your teeth, you, there's a face mask, you get marked up. Um, but I was, uh, pleading and begging her, was, you know, you get those mailers, at school. Uh, I don't know if they still do that now, but, you know, whether it was YMCA soccer, baseball, whatever, Little League this or, you know, Mighty Mites, you get these mailers and you take them home and, you you know, you beg your parents to, have to, to sign you up. So I finally was able to get her to uh, sign me up uh, to take me to a learn to skate or learn to play hockey uh, uh, outing. And uh, I was just, I was completely enthralled, obsessed with it. Um, you know, it was it was street hockey. It was hockey in my living room, hockey in the the garage. Um, looking for anyone that would that that wanted to play hockey. You know, whether that's uh, you know riding my bike or rollerblading. You know, ten to thirty minutes up and down the the, the mean streets of uh, East Anchorage, you would say. Uh, and you know, learning how to play the game initially. Um, you know, then you get in the summertime where it's kind of like you know people play soccer and. Uh, you know, hockey, hockey now we all understand is a, is a year round sport with these, uh, these things. But so, uh, my mom would pick me up at, on our lunch break. She would take me to the uh, mall that had an ice sheet in it. And, uh, from about noon till she was off work, I would, uh, she'd give me 10 bucks and I'd spend it on, uh, bazooka bubble gum and some Wen uh, Wendy's cheeseburger. And I'd skate for you know, four to six hours. Um, and I think about it now, it just, it just seems so unrealistic how, you know, you're, you're eight, nine years old skating around at a mall all day long. I, I just, I don't know how I, how that was a thing, but for me, uh, I guess that's just how much I loved it. And so that turned into, uh, getting signed up to play on a, uh, uh, an organized league. And, uh, you know, as you would say, uh, you know, one year after, uh, I guess you'd call it house hockey. I don't know if they call that in Canada. So I was able to uh, play on a rep team uh, the very next year after that. So I kind of found a way to accelerate past a lot of kids that had been skating since they were five and six years old. So uh, uh, for me, it was great. Uh, I got on with the, as you know, Mr. Barnes, I'm sure you understand just how critical uh, 
the human factor is in all of this, but I uh, was taken in by a guy who who, uh, who uh, wasn't worried about who my parents were and, and who they weren't and, and uh, just appreciated my love of the game and my abilities and, and did whatever he could to uh, help keep me on the rink because, as you know, it was uh, a challenge for a single mom. That's right. Yeah. Uh, would, you, would you want to share the name of that gentleman? Yeah, Benton. DeBrell, who was a brilliant guy. I think he, I don't know if he still works for Baker Chemicals, but he was, uh, his job was to make molecules. And he worked in the oil and gas field. And uh, that's why I think a lot of those ConocoPhillips or BP or, or Baker Chemi- Baker Hughes or whatever had him stationed here in Alaska. He's, you know, from Texas. Uh, but he fell in love with the sport as well and uh, fostered in his kids. And uh, he loved it so much, he was willing to coach other people's kids. Because when I played for him, he didn't have a kid on the team. No. Very, very good to you pass along that story about uh, Benton. And there's, there is always a caring adult out there that's looking out for the interests and passionate about making a difference in a young person's life. I, I also wanted to uh, highlight that you uh, have something in common with two other players we interviewed, uh, Tony McKegney and Ray Newfeld, who played in the 70s and 80s. They were both adopted, had fantastic experiences being introduced to hockey by their their families and, you know, fell in love with their families obviously and fell in love with the game. So just wanted to to share that with you as well. No, thank you. Pretty pretty special. So thanks for sharing those experiences about you skating and who's supporting you. And um, was there a moment then did you, that stands out that you felt you might have a career in this? Was it younger or when you were a teenager or was there a moment where you just felt, you know, this could be something that you're going to go on to college or whatever, maybe. I think it was, um, you know, you being on, in Ontario, uh, I'll tell you really quick, you know, I played a lot of those, you know, those kids like Tyler Toffoli and, and uh, um, I'll just use his story, for example, oh, and uh, Strome. Uh, so when I, I, yeah, I played with Toffoli with the, in the Manchester or for the Monarchs and the Kings organization and Strome with, with the Islanders. And I remember talking to these guys, you know, because me being the old guy, you know, I, I'd get to have some pretty insightful conversations with them and they would open up to me because, you know, maybe they uh, appreciated just having an older guy around that cared about obviously. And, and so they would share things. And, and I'm obviously really uh, curious too, uh, you know, about all that big time hockey that I've, I grew up hearing about, you know, whether it was Detroit, Chicago, New York, Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver. And these two guys told me the same thing, that they don't even remember losing a hockey game on their rep teams. And so uh, I, you know, we didn't quite have that kind of uh, situation going on up here. But what we did have is we had a unique era, I would say, 1975 through 86, and I say 86 because that was uh, Dubinsky's year. Brendan Dubinsky played with the Blue Jacks. And so we had a lot of really talented hockey players uh, developing here in Anchorage. And so the the culture or the environment was, you know, the cul-de-sacs were full of street hockey. The outdoor rinks always had people on them. The lakes, um, you had uh, thousands of kids playing locally in the city. It was back when, you know, blue-collar people could afford to have their kids in the rink. Even though it was Alaskan, it was a little more expensive. And um, I'm kind of kind of tell you the whole story here, but there was a four-year stint where we had four first-round draft picks from from the Anchorage area. And it started with Parker, Scott Parker, the big tough guy, with the uh, Avalanche, and then the uh, San Jose Sharks, of course, who I still... Uh, am anxious to finally meet one day uh, and actually have a, a conversation with Ty Jones, Scott Gomez, who you're familiar with, I'm sure, and then Barrett Heist. Um, so that just kind of tells you from this, you know, town of 300,000, in four consecutive years, we had a first round draft pick. So um, I take that further into, you know, being a 1981 birth year, you know, lots of my friends, you know, uh, 80s and 80, 82s that I grew up with a lot of really good players and uh, it becomes a social thing. And, and I attribute a lot of my self-worth and who I was with my buddies is, you know, if I was playing on the same hockey team with them. And um, when you talked about a career or whatever, I knew I always wanted to play hockey. I knew that was a dream of mine. Obviously you kind of go through the, the process of elevating to, you know, midget player and want to play juniors and walking on to the university, but it wasn't really until 
I finally got that second chance with the uh, Idaho Steelheads um, after being cut by the Aces twice. Um, where I was like, you know what? Like, I might have a I might have a niche um, that might you know get me a job, and that was you know being energetic, um, having you know reasonable abilities, you know that would make you a Division One hockey player, and then of course you know being willing to fight. I think I think once I understood uh, when Scott Burt you know brought me into the Utah Grizzlies, and I was actually signed, um, I was given, you know. Obviously, nothing's ever ever in stone. Uh, you know, the paper's the contract's not worth the paper it's written on. But after having Jason Christie, who I don't know if you his nickname is Smurf, he's with the Sabers now as an assistant under Granado. But when he brought me in, and he made it clear to me that I was going to get a real opportunity and uh, moved me into a, a team condo with some other guys, where I was like, you know what, I might I might have a chance to 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 maybe uh, grind out a few years. Uh, yeah. So you well. you really have, and you alluded to this earlier, really unique experience the fact that you said you were 32 when you actually played an NHL game to sort of um, keep that dream alive and if I walk through your history here I'm going to have you in a moment talk about the Alaska University experience but that's from 2002 2005 you this season is about 35 games per per year of college so you're a regular uh, player there and then that's followed by the Alaska Aces of the ECHL 2005 2006 and then Idaho, Utah, Cincinnati. So you're established in the ECHL, and then you mentioned the Manchester Monarchs of the AHL for four seasons, and then Bridgeport Sound Tigers AHL, and then the Islanders. So I, I think there's a the lesson here is it was, it was about a development, and I imagine the Alaska University experience was the the first step in sort of elevating your career. And we, when we hear of so many players post college or whatever you know, really find themselves. And uh, so let, let's just go back though, be, because it's really interesting to hear about how someone gets identified for a scholarship. So tell us about the year leading into University of Alaska and then your experiences at University of Alaska. I, um, I had a really good second year in, in the North American League in Danville. Um, and a lot of uh, big time guys I looked up here in Anchorage had the opportunity to play with the Omaha Lancers in the USHL. So I went and did that in my last year, you know, during 21 there in May and uh, won the uh, regular season title. So it was a really tough lineup to be in, um, a lot of good hockey players. And so you kind of had to work to find your way to just to, just to be in a lineup, really, uh, if you're a role player. So didn't have a lot of scholarship opportunities, but what I did have was uh, you know, I was recruited by my hometown team locally, um, you know, and then being in a situation where they wanted to uh, – you know, supplement their lineup with, with maybe some more talented players that maybe had a little more of a background of putting up points at the junior level. Um, you know, I was asked to be on the team, but as a walk-on and told that, you know, I could earn a scholarship. Um, it was for John Hill, one of the best coaches I've ever had and, and, and someone that was critical um, to to my life uh, on and off the rank, just in terms of his story and, and sharing his love of hockey and, and what he shared with me. Uh, on and off the ice and, and, and being a man and, and getting through some tough things, uh, you know, emotionally. Uh, so he was somebody that was a really important figure and to have him make good on his promise and, rec and the recognition and, and being rewarded with a scholarship uh, was obviously a really big deal for me. Uh, getting to play in my hometown, uh, being in a lineup. Uh, and then, you know, the Aces kind of had, had come into town in the East Coast Hockey League. Davis Payne, who's with the Ottawa Senators now. Um, just did a, a magnificent job of, of building up that program and made it made it made it a big deal. And you're 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 a university graduate, I assume, at that point in time. Is is the pay enough in the ECHL for you to live off the ECHL for the next? Not for me, uh, not for a guy like me. Um, so you know, guys are making anywhere between three fifty and two thousand bucks a week, I think, uh, at the ECHL level, depending on who you were, um, and. Uh, I was brought in at the end of my last senior year there and, you know, we won the uh, league championship that year with the Aces. So it was a, it's a lot of fun uh, getting to go along for that ride, even though I wasn't on the ice for it very much, but it was just really cool to see in my hometown. Uh, you know, the, the rank Sullivan arena was like Noah's Ark. People were coming from every direction to fill that place. And, um, you know, with them being an affiliated um, 
high-profile team in that league, they always had a really good affiliate, I guess you would say, partnerships. And so it was tough for me to kind of crack that lineup. It was best team in the league. And so that first year after college being cut out of training camp, I, uh, I think I had uh, five credits left over with my degree and uh, just wasn't really sure about where I could pursue the game. And so I just took a job with a friend uh, working with kids. Uh, uh, it was like a dry land hockey uh, facility. And in the meantime, I got my degree. But I was lucky enough to have a good friend, uh, Daniel Hacker, who played for the Idaho Steelheads. Uh, they were another great team in the league that year. Uh, and I want to say they had, you know, a bunch of injuries and a bunch of guys called up. And so he said, hey, my coach is going to call you and see if you'd like to play some games with us this weekend. So I knew it was going to be not that fun playing on a team, playing against a team I'd gotten cut from, which happened to be my hometown team. But uh, as painful as it was, it was, it was well worth it in terms of uh, staying in the game because I think I did end up getting, I don't know, 16 to 20 games that year. And that's where I met Scott Burt with the Idaho Steelheads. Yeah. So then um, it's another contract offer, a big step up. I'm sorry if you alluded to this before, but the Manchester Monarchs, how did that go about? Did you get signed to, to more money, a specific contract over that period? Or I was finally uh, going to be on the team after uh, being released and cut a few times. And I was going to be the guy that kind of got to play that role with a lot of my good friends. Um, and so I had a good year. Um, we, uh, you know, we weren't the best team in the league that year, but, uh, you know, I, I was, I was playing on my hometown team, which is what all I wanted really. Um, the following year, uh, at this point I had a girlfriend who had a child and, and, um, you know, I was pretty locked into to being on the Alaska Aces and, and, and was tickled and thrilled with what that meant for me locally, being a hometown guy. And so I decided to get into coaching with a friend. Um, cause as you know, you know, you're, East Coast Hockey League, uh, you're playing games mostly on the weekends. And so during the week, you know, after after skating, you know, at 10 a.m. for practice and maybe, you know, have, uh, having a lunch and maybe a nap, uh, you know, being at the rink at 4.30 or 5 to everybody coach a U15 or U16 team was something that I could definitely do to make a little extra money. And so I definitely wanted to do that, obviously. I think I was making maybe 650 or 700 a week uh, that year at the Aces. And, um, Played that out. Um, everything went really well. Um, so coming into that next year, we had a guy named Brian Swanson, who was one of the more decorated guys locally. Played for the Tigers, played in the NHL uh, quite a bit. Was an All-American in college, played for the Omaha Lancers. He was going to come play uh, for the Aces and kind of wrap up his career after a long, long uh, career in Europe after his uh, NHL stints. And I, uh, we were taking the midget team to a preseason tournament in Detroit. And uh, when I landed in Detroit, I had a voicemail uh, on my phone from Ron Hextall. And uh, if you've ever listened to Ron Hextall speak, he's, he, he has a very uh, stern uh, tone to his voice. And uh, immediately, you know, I'm wondering what, what would Ron Hextall want to do? You know, at that point, I didn't really know what he was doing. I just knew, obviously, I recognized the name Ron Hextall. I didn't know he was the assistant GM of the Kings. And he... Um, asked me to call him back. And so I did there in the baggage claim. And he said that they were very happy with uh, Kevin Westgar's um, development in that role. And they were looking forward to having him being up with the NHL team, the Kings the whole year. And so that meant that they had a vacancy uh, for a role they really coveted, I guess, or, or, or put a lot of emphasis on at that level uh, with some of their younger players. And now, now I, now I understand why it was so important because we, we all know that they went on a tremendous run there for a few years, winning a couple of cups. And, um, you know, at that point I had learned how to fight through watching YouTube, Morasti, Yablonski, Gillies, uh, you know, the local guy, Mike Lee here, uh, Bugard, uh, McIntyre, uh, LeBlanc, a lot of really scary, uh, scary guys. And in watching them, you know, I never saw myself fighting them, but I watched them intently during those East Coast League years. Uh, Joel Recklich is another one um, because, you know, I would, want, I would want to take something from their styles. Of, you know, I'd watch the lefties and I'd watch how the, the, the better righties fought uh, with the lefties. And, and now I, I still didn't really see myself tangling with these guys. And so I kind of was a little reluctant to, to be given that opportunity at first. Uh, you know, you, I guess you can call it fear or a lack of company, but I just, I had never really been at that level. I didn't have the major junior background, you know, where these guys kind of, you know, had, had earned their keep uh, when they were 16 to 24, they became pros. And so I had, 
I said, I asked Mr. Uh, Exhaw, I said, would you mind if I had uh, Brent Thompson give you a phone call? He was the head coach of the Aces uh, at that time. His son is Tage Thompson on the Sabres. And, uh, oh, think, yeah. And nice. Nice. Great point. With the Devils. And I said, hey, I, um, blah, 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 I just got a call from Ron Exhaw. He was shocked. He was like, what? You know, like, you know, he hadn't, he didn't know anything about it. And I said, hey, would you mind calling him back and kind of find out what this opportunity is all about. Cause if it's just a kind of a token, like, Hey, come to camp and let's see if you got it. I was really not keen on flying all the way out there to just, you know, get sent back home and you're, uh, you know, you, you know what I mean? I'm 27, 28. So I'm trying to think literally. Um, but at the same time I was excited. Uh, he called me back and he said, Nope, you got to go. He said, as long as you're uh, everything he thinks you are, uh, you'll be on the team. And, uh, so I was just like, wow, um, this is a big deal. And so I had to quickly pivot to like, oh, I guess I got to tell my girlfriend, I guess I might be leaving. Cause at the time I pretty much was going to play a few more years out the aces and that was going to be it. Um, and so, uh, you know, Ron Hextall told me some very nice things that he'd heard from, uh, I want to say his, uh, uh, I'm losing his name, but he was that coach, of the Ontario Rain during that stint, uh, I hate that I don't remember his name, but I got a very glowing endorsement basically is what happened uh, from some of the coaches in the league at that time. So uh, got the call up, showed up at camp. Uh, for me, it was fantasy camp. A lot of these guys, their first, second, third round draft picks, and they played in the World Junior Championships. And here you are, you're lining up with them in training camp and, and you're you're working out with them off the ice. And, and, and Manchester's in uh, New, New Hampshire, Hampshire, right? Boston. East Coast, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just about 45 minutes up north from Boston. Okay. Yeah. And they were the feeders team for the LA Kings. Yes, sir. Okay. So, um, you know, everything went well, uh, didn't fall on my face, uh, which is always something you're worried about. And, um, I think I was treated very well by the coach, uh, Mark Morris. Um, I think for me, it was, um, you know, I, now when I look back at it, I think, you know, people knew I was going to be in some deep water. You know, I wasn't a six foot four, six foot six, you know, behemoth warhead, like a lot of these guys were. Uh, and I've been, you know, fighting guys on the coast, uh, for the last you know four or five years. And, um, when I tell you, I look back at it now, I, I think maybe I was given a little bit of grace, a little bit of extra time to kind of uh, get my feet underneath myself. Cause those first few fights, I, I wouldn't say went very well. Um, my first two fights, I had to fight the Yablonski, uh, Jeremy Yablonski guy who I'm sure people are aware, well aware of that follow the hockeyfights.com. Um, and, and, and for me, it, it turned out to be a blessing because, um, you know, even though I definitely didn't win the fights, I, I was still alive and, um, my face wasn't disfigured and, and, uh, you know, all was not lost, I guess. If anything, it was, I was buoyed by the confidence like you know what, Hey, you know what, keep trying. <laughs> I hate to be cliche there. Um, but eventually, you know, you, you, you can develop yourself into a formidable, uh, guy at this level in terms of playing that role. And a, a fun thing I want, I really like to, I really want to make sure I point out is that he would call me and he would encourage me to call him and he would share the finer points of, uh, something that he was obviously world-class at in, in terms of hand-to-hand -hand combat on skates. And so I think people need to know that just, that's how special a guy he is. And, and, you know, him and I had a, uh, we touched bases there in Idaho because he was on that team. And he was actually another reason why I got that chance because he's one of the injured players Idaho team that year. So it turned into, uh, you know, relationships like that with the guys that I played with, with people that were, you know, reaching out to me for my, you know, past hockey exploits and giving me their two cents about things I could be doing better or, or whatever and uh, how to keep a job. And, and uh, you know, I think luckily for me, I, I was a respectful guy and I, I I hated everyone's advice. So was it a bump up uh, in pay worth it? Because you played four seasons in the uh, yeah. NHL. Uh, so that first, that first year I was on a, uh, a PTO. So they were 25 game contracts. And I think they were worth 28,000. Um, so I, um, 20, 25 to $30,000 that the, for those 25 games. And so during the course of that year, I think I signed two or three, two or three of those. Every time you're about up, they would renew it with another one. So yeah. it was always on the edge of my uh, you know, periphery that, you know, you could be going home at any moment. Sure. 
Um, but the money made it more like you were really a professional. I, I don't yeah. know if you still had yeah, as much no. time for other things. But. Yeah, no, I mean, I had I had a girlfriend who was 30 years old and, you know, it was, you know, like birthday, you know, birthday gifts, you know, I'm, I consider myself a great gift giver and, and uh, to give a good gift to, to someone you care about, about you know, it's, it's not cheap. So, um, and then of course, you know, you know, I had a baby Dodge Dakota. Uh, some people want to have a Dodge Ram. So, uh, uh, I ended up turning into a GMC guy, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, so it was it was considerably more money than I was making. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So I want to touch on some of the other guests on the show were, you know, guys who had the confidence that pretty much they were going to win every fight. So I didn't hear from them the side of every game I have to step up and this is a big chore. Like, I'm not a fighter. I would be be concerned about what's coming at me each game. So it sounds like you're kind of in balance where you sort of, you know, you you practice, got some mentoring and all that. But but tell us about that other side of it. Is it something that you really relished doing? It was just part of the game for. We watched some of the great documentaries that have come out in the last, you know, five to eight years, um, the Probert and the Ice Guardians or whatever. I really did maintain of physical confidence, but at the same time, I had to be honest about, you know, the, the, to the, to what extent of experience I really have, um, fighting guys that were, you know, they were doing this 20 to 40 times a year. Um, and if you're going to be considered somebody that was, um, effective, you need to win fights. You know what I mean? Just being game and being, being eager and being, uh, being willing that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to solidify or establish you at that level. And so the Kings had a guy that they hired named Jeremy. Um, I forget his last name. I'm just going to be so upset about this. Uh, he knows me as he worked with Kevin Bugard uh, during uh, Bugard's uh, big uh, rise, to, rise to the claim there with the, with the Minnesota Wild. But he would come out a couple of years and he would work with us after, after, um, after after practice and before practice on some of the finer points of grabbing and punching and you know uh, being strong uh, being able to not only defend yourself but still you know uh, be on the be on the front foot of being able to, to deliver counter punches and things like that and so what you see there um, I mean I think I had a couple of TKOs before I got called up but that year I had a few um, and I credit that to just the, the repetition uh, of working with a guy like that off the ice, on the ice. Uh, and then obviously, you know, you know, in that first year, I wouldn't say anybody was afraid of me. So if I would ask somebody to fight, they almost hundred percent usually said yes. So, you, you know what I mean? So that, that of course, uh, thankfully changed. Cause I think once you kind of, you know, you have some of these great uh, results or, or, or highlights, if you will, um, with that carries a little bit of, um, People need to be um, so they're a little reluctant. They need, uh, yeah, you know, you're left-handed. You're you're a small target. You're. I was heavy enough at at two thirty um, yeah. that I wasn't going to get you know pushed around or whatever. But yeah. Uh, so and, what what are some of the not so great parts of the experience? It, did do you have anything? Is there anything that you had to to deal with as a result, or was it I, not not much of an impact on you? There was part of your question that you asked before that I want to make sure I got to when you talk about relishing, and I think it kind of ties into what you just said. Um, I relished the way my teammates responded to me. I was treated, I was always treated very well by my teammates. They appreciated uh, what I was doing in the rink and they appreciated my presence and they appreciated me uh, being their biggest cheerleader outside of their moms. You know what I mean? Um, I was genuinely um, humbled and, and, and loved playing at that level. And so I, I, I really, and I, and I had great advice from Chuck Weber and Brent Thompson about, you know, what kind of teammate you got to be to be a, 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 to have another element uh, of, of, of being effective in that role. And that's by being a, 
the best teammate on the bench on and off the ring, whether you're in or out of the lineup. And what I was seeing was things are coming back to me, you know, whether it's opportunity, um, uh, people opening up to me with, 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 uh, you know, cause if people don't care about you, they don't like you, they're not going to take the extra time to kind of talk to you and, 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 and give you kind of like, Hey, I think you could do this. I think you could do that. And uh, maybe it might help you be a little more consistent here or there. Um, so I relished, um, the way I was being rewarded. Uh, and so therefore I was being humanized by it, but I would say the things that aren't fun is just the uh, anxiety. Um, I think, you know, you're, you're a man, you understand what it's like to, you know, maybe you got a little bit of a conflict with somebody in, in, on the schoolyard and when you're waiting for that bell to ring to go have a, uh, um, address that conflict of the day. And, uh, when you're doing this, it's, Every time you're in your lineup, you're anticipating that that inter, that that, uh, that confrontation, and there, you know, with that comes a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of stress, um, and you try to find ways to handle that, whether it's music or relaxing or trying not to think about it, or, or just finding your routine that maybe kind of um, eliminates some of the edge of that stress. So I would mm-hmm. say, I would I would say that is that was. The, the no fun part was the, was the anxiety and the stress of it. Yeah. Because aside from, um, hitting a regular contact part of the game, looking forward to getting a point or assist, but it, it's like a fireman or policeman. If you use those terms, the there's an emergency or whatever, something's happening. Everyone has the confidence in you that you're going to respond and you're creating space. You're defending a teammate. I mean, those are probably some descriptors. And yeah. the fact is, game in, game out. You yeah. you're not sure when it's going to happen, but it's likely going to happen. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, you look around the locker room, and, and guys are getting suited up, and you know, the music's playing or whatever. And, and I would think about, you know, I would love to know. I would love to feel what they're feeling. You know, just go out there and play. You know, I've got a, I've got somebody in the locker room over there that that could hurt me. <laughs> you know, that wants to hurt me. Um, you know, obviously not for the wrong reasons. I mean, you know, they, everyone wants to win the fight and, and winning a fight means that you, uh, you, uh, dominate the other man. And, uh, with that comes, uh, if you get dominated or you lose a fight, you know, that's, that's embarrassing. Uh, there's the, 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 the bad feelings of letting your teammates down or, you know, having the, the momentum of the games get shifted because you went out there and weren't able to, uh, uh light that fire with, you know, yeah, so luckily for me, it didn't. Uh, it never really went. Uh, I don't think I ever had the misfortune of being embarrassed. I mean, I, I definitely had uh, uh, Trevor Gillies teach me a lesson uh, once there, but other than that, I, I, I never really took too much abuse. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I uh, I credit you for that um, skill development in that role because because um, I also want to say. In college hockey, I imagine when you played, fighting's not allowed. Or if it is, you're gone for three games or something like that. So it is something that when you talked about the other players probably growing up with it in this role and perfecting their technique, uh, a lot of that does happen. I know it's a different game right now, but a lot of that did happen in junior B hockey, junior A hockey, you know, Canadian Hockey League and all those yep. stages, right? Yeah, and it's, it's the ultimate test really. And, and when we talk about things that I didn't relish, um, you know, you've, you've got to mentally, you've got to find a way to combat that, you know, like, Hey, I can, I can compete. Um, I don't have the, the resume that says I can. Um, but as long as I'm here, I guess I get the chance to prove it. And so that was, that was, that was everything for me. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you shifting gears to the topic of, um, you know, diversity, inclusion, racism, were there other players of um, color or other racialized players when you, you played growing up in Alaska or, or any of your, tra- you did talk about a lot of your travel? Yes. So we talked about that era a little bit. Um, there was a lot of, uh, of uh, Hispanic and black players um, in my community. So a lot of that was the military presence here is huge. Uh, it would it, be tough for me to explain just how big the, the military is here. And then we also had the, the huge construction boom of the seventies and eighties where you know, you're building the infrastructure of the state, um, the oil and gas industry. Um, so with that, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people were invited up here. Um, and, and 
that meant uh, people from all walks of life. And so uh, it wasn't uncommon for me to have one or two other players on the team that were uh, that were black. Um, so you're describing a really unique experience because yeah. um, you know hockey's grown over the last couple of decades or so in the U.S. and it went. You know, aside from the growth we're now seeing in the West Coast and Florida, traditionally hockey's only been, you know, the eastern part of the U.S. So if you said to many people there was this diversity existing in Alaska, you know, that wouldn't be front of mind for most. No, no, and, and it's true, and, and and obviously it didn't it didn't mean that I, we didn't hear things and go through things that were that are, you know, I, I never want to use the word typical because that kind of behavior is never acceptable. Um, you know, even though I even though I said earlier in this, uh, you know, blue collar kids were playing hockey back then in Alaska, there's still the same typical um, element of you know we're a lot of affluent kids, uh, and and you know, and I, I'm definitely not going to generalize or stereotype that. But what I want to say is that there was still a huge spectrum of kids that were playing hockey together uh, during that time. Now it's obviously changed in in, in the wrong way where things have gotten obviously, you know, more affluent. But back then, uh, kids from East Anchorage, West Anchorage, South Anchorage, you know, North, South, wherever, were all getting to play hockey. Um, and so, in, and what that did is I think it, it, it created a, a really competitive, uh, honest environment where, um, you know, one entity wasn't favored over the other, if you will. It was about developing uh, hockey players. And, and for some of these hockey coaches, you know, where hockey really wasn't on the map, per se, nationally, these coaches wanted to win and so some of those some of the nonsense that 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 you know everybody always talks about um went on a lot less up here during that period you know it was all about it was about your ability uh it was about your talent and uh you know how much you want to be a hockey player and it showed you know getting off getting off the plane when you don't really play in competitive environments week over week like kids do in detroit or chicago or vancouver you know it always took us a day or two to kind of catch up um, to the pace and the competitiveness of, of these different environments, these tournaments, but it, eventually, you know, we we would get there and we'd learn to compete. And we had some teams actually win national tournament uh, up here a few times. So um, it wasn't uncommon to uh, you know whether it was Alaska Native, you know, Hispanic, like I said, black guys, of course, uh, and even Polynesian kids uh, were playing hockey up here. I mean, it, the winter is a, is very long up here, and every single school has an ice rink. So, I mean, if there's 40 elementary schools between here and Eagle River, they all have an outdoor rink. So, so that's positive speaks about the access for sure. That's, that's one positive. Yeah. But it sounds like you're alluding to um, the common theme where we're hearing that the, the costs of the game have gone up. So it's, it's, uh, it seems to be keeping up with the Jones as everyone feels that they have to get all these extra practices and skill training. And now one, one could say, maybe you just don't, don't do that and follow a path and diversify and play different sports. And uh, maybe that's still, still option, but it's, it's tough not to, to keep up that way. It's, the way the it, program is going. It's interesting where I feel like I have a seat at the table of, of discussing this because I feel like I've, I've watched it. Um, you know, when we grew up, all of the high schools were competitive. Everybody was able to field a uh, formidable varsity team to, that could play. You know, obviously you had some schools that were dominant, but every school, even in East Anchorage, you know, the East Anchorage High and Bartlett still won state tournaments and had guys like Scott Gomez and Joey Hope and Chris Fournier and you, you name it on these hockey teams. Uh, but now here we are in 2023 and we've got we've got some schools in the greater Anchorage area that can't even fill the team. So now they're having to combine high schools to play uh, in a high school league. So are they, watched, are they not are they not filling because of the um, cost for the players to play? Because it sounds like the infrastructure is there with the rinks. Well, it started with the cost, and now it's just a, a simple matter of less kids playing. Um, you know, when I grew up, there was a boys and girls club. I don't know if they have that in Canada. Boys and girls club, like a YMCA type thing. They had an association. They had their own association. And from mites to midgets, they had a team at every level for rep hockey. And so not only do they have a team at every level for rep hockey, they had four to eight house hockey teams for every age group. And so, uh, you know, this happened a long time ago, but it got to a point to where 
Boys and Girls Club no longer uh, does, has a hockey program. Um, if there was, uh, you know, we know that some parents fall out of favor and they go, they get mad and they start their own hockey association. You know, it got to a point where we had too many and it was watering down the kids that should be playing comp hockey. Well, now you see, you know, if there was eight of those uh, clubs or programs, now there's only three. So I've seen a significant decline in the amount of kids playing hockey. Um, you know, and then, you know, you learn as you grow up and you mature that, you know, numbers, it's all about numbers. I mean, the more kids you have playing, the more likely you are to develop and, and create uh, talent or, or develop it. So, uh, you know, we're still finding ways to put some good hockey players out there in the rink and in, 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 in college or in the professional ranks. Uh, one of our uh, black hockey players, Isaiah Seville, is in the uh, Vegas system as a goalie. A great kid. He played at University of Nebraska, Omaha. But I, uh, just to the point I was making about saying that I've seen this happen, it has been, um, you know, just, just kind of leaves you with a little bit of an emptiness, like about how um, something that you're a part of and something that was so critical to my upbringing that I loved and enjoyed and some of these neighborhoods in, in a different part of town, it's, it's all but gone. And the way you describe that diversity, it's almost like that was a laboratory, like a, um, you know, a, a good prime example template for if you're going to try to grow the game further in other U.S. markets. It sounded like it was really well supported and, and funded and accessed. So now it's maybe more of a thing where you're talking about popularity and why are they not, why are the kids in general, whoever they are, not not joining the game? Yeah. One thing, and, and, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. Uh, I want to be, be articulate. And if I'm not, I'd, I'd love to have you kind of uh, correct me. Um, but what I can tell you is that the more diverse, the more diversity you have in kids playing from all different corners of the city, uh, you know, affluent to, you know, middle class to below middle class or whatever, um, you have some of those other, um, some of those other groups of, uh, of people that are just grittier. Uh, they're, they're a little more, um, a little more grateful for the opportunity. Uh, they're not just playing because their parents brought them and signed them up. They're, they're playing because they want to play, uh, because they love to play, and they know that it's not it's not a given. And so, I feel very confident that people would would, would know that uh, I make sense when I say that because of that, you have a more competitive environment. Um, and uh, I think that was very true at the time that I grew up in here in town with all or skating. I hear what you're saying. Even if we change the sport to water polo, soccer, baseball, I think um, what we're saying is, and is uh, I, I agree with you, is um, athletes are athletes, so find their passions. I think um, it's it's nice to have pathways for kids to cho choose what they're going to be passionate about. And um, I guess one argument against the specialization, whether we choose hockey or baseball, whatever, is kids should be able to find out what fits for them. And, um, and I think the, um, the, what you're talking about in terms of the appreciation, um, hockey might be more of a modest game at one point in time. And with that sort of came more of a, more of a commitment to, to say that you're, you're into something that you can uh, really thrive in. So that's just, interesting. You just, you, 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 Definitely had some in situations where there was kids uh, in the mix that uh, you know were playing for keeps, if you know what I mean. And uh, you know, you got a lot of kids had some very uh, tough conversations with their parents after games, uh, going back in the car because uh, you know if it's gonna if we're gonna put you on the rank and we're gonna pay what we pay, uh, we expect to see uh, uh, terrific effort. If yeah, you will. yeah. Uh, and that can go too far as well, yeah. too, where it's not yeah. it should be like professional athletes or anything, yeah. but. But then, then, then you could get away with it. You know, it meant more when, when parents said that back then. It definitely meant more because, uh, you know, um, the sacrifices weren't weren't a given uh, like they are now. People kind of expect or are entitled, if you will. That's right. So I think you've shared some thoughts um, about this whole opportunities for uh, diversity moving forward. And um, would you like to share with us what you're up to right now when, when you sort of left the career and what you've been, what you've been doing and are you still involved in hockey in any way? So when I, when I, when I, when I stopped playing hockey in 16, um, had a great experience at a great last year. I was sure really well by Kyle 
uh, Dubas and, and uh, Sheldon Keefe, terrific, uh, ter- just terrific men. Uh, That's right, because you were with the Marlies your last yeah. professional year in the HL. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, my role was minimal, but I was definitely treated like a, a viable member of the team, even though I suffered an injury that kind of ended my season, unfortunately. Uh, but I had a great time and I had a great experience. I loved living in Toronto. Uh, and something I touched on earlier, and it's, it's something that I'll always touch on, is just I've always been a fan um, of these things that are, are what you would consider a higher level. You know, Toronto being the uh, mecca or epicenter of, of real hockey or, or uh, prestige, I would say. Um, I was really happy to have the experience there in Toronto. And so it left me kind of feeling uh, not completely fulfilled or whatever. I would have loved to have gone back. But, you know, when you only play eight games, it's kind of tough to um, justify another opportunity. At that point, I was ancient uh, in that league. So, uh, but like I said, I was treated very well, uh, respected. I can't say that there's anything that I could remotely uh, be be bitter about. Uh, I still text a lot of people that are involved uh, to this day, and um, I'm very happy I had that ex- that experience. So when I came home, I started working uh, for a medical sales company. Um, so I'm in the OR every day, doing my best to uh, support staff and support surgeons uh, in their surgeries. And, uh, you know, kind of get, I, I get to still be a teammate. I get to still uh, find value and in, in, in energy and eager eagerness or, or uh, uh, be, being of service to others. Um, and then seeing that kind of come back to me because obviously it's a, it's a sales uh, position. So uh, what I've learned uh, for a long time now is uh, the more you give, the more you receive. And for me, nothing could be more true. And uh, well, I, I, I've been blessed. And uh, this job was really tailor-made for me in a lot of ways. I would love to be back in the sport. I, I feel like um, kids know I, 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 I care. And obviously, we know that, you know, you're, I think you're a therapist by trade. Are you a psychologist? Uh, I work in the education field, but yeah. uh, by support student well-being. Yeah. And so I, I think, obviously, we've had to evolve. And I feel like... Um, one of my greatest attributes is, is, is just being a sincere um, and uh, real with people. And so I've always, I've always said people respond very well to me. Um, you know, obviously we don't always, you know, show our best face, but um, being consistent and, and always trying, um, you get credit for that. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, would love to be back in the game as a coach or a GM or maybe even agent. Uh, but uh, I, I have no, no complaints. Um, being in a competitive environment every day has kind of pushed me, if you will, to uh, survive at a level that uh, that I want to. You know, uh, bought a house in a neighborhood I never thought I'd live in. Growing up in East Anchorage, uh, bought a house in South Anchorage. Um, you know, it's not like I'm not keeping it real or whatever, but uh, you know what I mean. Uh, I've, I've been able to kind of elevate uh, financially uh, just by. Uh, trying to be trying to be a good teammate so that's what i'm doing now um the fight to be healthy is 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 one that i've recognized and accepted and i'm doing my best to embrace every day whether it's uh you know exercise um trying to evolve uh mentally spiritually um you know i i feel like you don't get to stop learning and still get to have the success you want if if, if there's a certain level of success you you, you uh, are looking forward to so that's what I'm up to now. And, uh, you know, long winters up here and it makes it easy to kind of shelter in place and want to be cozy and, and, and dive into these comfort foods a little too much and maybe drink too many beers, but, mm-hmm. but life has been good. Yeah. Well, I think you've got lots of, uh, years ahead of you when you choose to, um, give back whatever that level is in, in hockey. I think, uh, everything you spoke to would be fabulous for students and young people to benefit from your experiences and your mentorship. I, I want to ask you then to, to wrap up, what advice would you give to a young hockey player today? Um, you know, I want to be, uh, I, I want to get this all out. And, and, and if you want to kind of guide me and you think maybe I'm falling a little to the left or right, please feel free, Mr. Barnes, to kind of get me back on track. But um, my, my message to kids would be to, um, uh, to never give up um, and to accept that, um, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. Um, you need to learn through disappointments. 
Um, we all know there's kids that make the team every year and they make the team easily and everyone knows they're going to make the team, but there's always kids that still got to try out. Uh, and even for the kids that always seem to make it, um, that number always just gets less and less. I think the higher you get in anything uh, professionally, whether it be, uh, you know, medicine, law, you know, engineering, sports, if you will, um, you've got to find ways to overcome and you've got to, um, you've got to look at uh, disappointments a, a, a certain way. And uh, I can tell you, Mr. Barnes, that I've seen a lot of my friends that were uh, maybe quite a bit talented or maybe barely talented, or I, I'm not sure how well to you know, kind of go off on that, but kind of limited themselves by, you know, maybe taking uh, some, some missteps and, and quitting and not following through and, and uh, not maintaining, not fighting to kind of, um, take some hard lessons uh, and turn it into, you know, uh, being able to move on with something that you love to do. I think it's too easy to get discouraged now um, and make excuses for why maybe you're not making it or you can't make it. Uh, I think my story, um, no one's, no one anticipated or saw it coming or, or, or saw that potential. I don't think anybody said, oh, you're going to play in the NHL. Justin, you know, you just, you just got to stay, you just got to stay. I think I was a product of the, the, the great hockey players that I was living amongst and training with in my twenties, you know, Joey Crabb, Scott Gomez, Nate Thompson, Tim Wallace. I mean, Matt Carl, uh, you know, all these guys that I was getting to work out with, we were training with Louis Mass, who's the assistant coach of the San Jose Barracudas. And what that would does was it was, it was uh, encouraging me to, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a hockey player. And I got to see guys at the highest levels uh, put in some real work uh, at it. You know, you saw them, you know, the diet they were eating. You saw how consistent they were in, in the gym and on the ice. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect for everyone. Everyone had disappointments uh, that they had to kind of fight through, getting cut, getting waived, getting traded, um, if you will. And kind of would wrap this up as best I can, but dreams really do come true. Um, dreams really do come true. and. Um, if you're willing to accept uh, hearing things or going through things that are, are, are no fun, um, I think there's a good chance that uh, you'll end up getting what you want out of it. And um, I hate to see, I absolutely hate to see people cut themselves short, uh, Mr. Barnes, by uh, not, not handling adversity uh, the right way. Um, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And, and that, like I said, the cliches, I know I don't, People always get tired of, but they, they're true. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always kind of seeing different, different things kind of shoved in our faces now with the great memes or whatever, uh, on YouTube. Um, don't let that, don't let that stuff go out of, out of, uh, out of your other ear. You, you've got to let, you've got to hold on to it, let it sink in and, uh, you know, give yourself a shot and, uh, quitting, uh, it's tragic, really. Well, Justin, your story is very inspirational to uh, to many, um, from finishing up with the University of Alaska in 2005-06 to playing with the New York Islanders, everyone's dream in 2013-14 to play in the NHL. Um, and the lessons that uh, you've taken from your journey, I, I like how you've shared how um, to never give up and to stick with your dreams. And although it was never a specific dream for you. You just wanted to keep better and better and you were focused at it. And there's so many things I know you've taken from your entire journey through hockey. That's just going to be continued to transfer to others in life. So pleasure to have you on the show, uh, the podcast <laughs> and, uh, maybe we'll uh, connect again. And if I'm up in Alaska way, I'll definitely look you up. No, please, please do. And I, I got to get that card for you. Uh, I always, I always appreciate a chance to be reminded of, of some things that worked out for me. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to discount, you know, it was a dream. It just, uh, you know, I had some things going on in life where when you, when you, uh, you get cut uh, from several teams, um, you kind of don't get away with maybe proclaiming what you think is there for you. And so it was something I kind of always held on to and, and to get a chance to have this discussion with you and, and, uh, maybe, uh, someone hears it and, uh, is able to kind of deal with their situation a little bit better and, and, and maybe come at it with uh, accomplishing their a goal or a dream. I would be uh, just 
absolutely overjoyed because I know what it's meant to me. I, I get up every morning and uh, have these thoughts about accomplishment and, and, and being successful. And I, I feel like through the game and all the wonderful people that looked out for me and cared about me and nurtured me, uh, it's allowed me to, um, you know, feel like anything is possible. Everyone needs internal uh, conf- confidence to uh, navigate through things. And you, you definitely demonstrated that. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.